Hello everyone and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about thank you. So it's important to say these words because you can motivate and encourage others. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Jim Edwards. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, for me, it's a big pleasure. I want to learn more about that. I know that you wrote a book, so it's my passion to read books as maximum as possible. Of course, I consider my job, but uh, I usually search for the best time. And before we start, uh, I want to uh, tell about our sponsor, Sirenkin, a top-related all-in-one SEO platform. I like Sirenkin for their very accurate rank tracker tool, which shows your daily rankings for your website in five search engines for any location, device, and language. You can monitor Google Maps results in 35 search features for every keyword and much more. Just Google Sirenkin Rent Tracker and explore 40 days for free. Jim, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to write this awesome book. Uh, okay, so um, until earlier this year, I was the editor-in-chief for news at Insider, um, the, the digital news service that um, uh, is perhaps still best known for Business Insider. And uh, I left the company after 10 years. And... Um, when I joined the company, it was a small blog with a handful of staff. Uh, very few people read the product. Um, it was very much an underdog. Um, and as the years went by, we, uh, we built a huge audience, you know, more than 200 million people read Insider every month. Now it has a thousand employees. Um, it has offices in Singapore, London, New York, and Los Angeles. Um, uh, there's a, the newsroom alone is 600 people. And uh, we sold the company for 442 million. And uh, this year they won a Pulitzer. So uh, we did something right. And my experience at Insider was completely different from working at any other company. Um, and it's because uh, the, the company has had uh, a unique internal culture that they worked very hard on um, and a different way of managing people, particularly journalists in the news business than I experienced at any of the other companies I worked at. And the other companies I worked at are, you know, I worked for CBS for a period. I uh, was the managing editor at Adweek. I worked for a couple of daily newspapers, um, and I freelanced for a, a bunch of people, MTV, AOL, the independent, uh, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, um, I just thought, I just thought, you know, maybe I should write a book um, be, uh, inspired by the what I learned at Insider about management and how to uh, lead people and, and uh, make them more successful. Nice, nice, love it. Uh, yeah, I, I know how it's important management because uh, I often see when companies, uh, you know, they hire jack of all trades who can do anything, you know, but it's hard to get results. But management can unite a team of experts who pay attention to one direction. Can you tell more about this experience uh, with Insider? Uh, how you can grow such huge audience uh, for 10 years? Uh, um, it, it looks like uh, a long time, but it's not, you know, 200 yeah. million people. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. It's, it's huge audience. Can you tell uh, you uh, pay more attention to satisfy user-centered customers, uh, readers, uh, and uh, about the culture. Because uh, uh, mm -hmm. the reason why I'm asking about the culture, sure. a few years ago, uh, let me share my story, uh, short story. A few years ago, I had an issue in my company, uh, a toxic environment appealed. I didn't yeah. know about that because I spent so much time with one big project. And I decided to do anything to provide this uh, project. Uh, 
according to uh, deadline, but uh, when uh, toxic environment appealed, a few key players left my company, so I decided to research and got it. Something was wrong, so uh, we fixed, of course, uh, all this issue. But can you tell more about culture, how to build this culture and uh, about the uh, center of approach? I mean, like uh, what insider can do better than competitors to satisfy readers? Okay, uh, that, that is a long question. Yeah. <laughs> I think that one of the main differences uh, at Insider compared to other certainly other media companies and companies generally um, mm -hmm. is that they were very careful to measure what everyone was doing. Um, and uh, Insider is a web-based business, so you can look at traffic, you can look at page views, you can look at uniques, you, you can look at visits, you can look at time spent on the site, you can look at... Um, uh, they have a paywall on their good articles, so you can see how many people have subscriptions and how many people don't. Um, and, and there's a, an endless number of metrics you can you can look at. Uh, but Insider made an effort from the very beginning to measure a lot of that and to pay attention to what works and and very importantly to pay attention to what does not work. And one of the earliest decisions they made is uh, a decision that they still make every day at, at the company. Um, in the very early days, they, they said, you know, we're, we want to provide a business news service, but we're going to be very specific about what kind of business news we will provide. We're not going to provide boring business news. We don't do boring, right? That was a phrase we would repeat to each other inside the company all the time in 2011. We don't do boring. So there were just certain companies and entire industries that we would just never write about because they were boring and um, readers didn't seem to care about them. And we, we just asked the existential question, you know, if we are bored of this business and readers are bored of this business, why, why would we write about it? Um, mm -hmm. And yes, if you look at traditional business news services, um, particularly newspapers, they will cover uh, a large range of companies that you don't care about. Um, and they cover them almost on a ritualistic basis, like a traditional basis. They have always covered them. And some of these companies are very old. Some companies are like hundreds of years old. And the news business continues to cover them simply because the news business has always covered them. And what we discovered at Insider is actually there's a small number of companies that people are really interested in and they're really excited about. Apple, Facebook, Google, Amazon. Um, there's a, there's a number of others as well. I won't go through the entire list, but you know, there are some companies that people like really, really care about and drive people insane. And they're just very enthusiastic about finding out more about them. And then there's a large number of companies that, um, you, you know, people just don't feel passionate about. And so we made this early decision, which we're not going to be like the Wall Street Journal. We're not going to be like Bloomberg. We're not going to do everything. We're only going to cover the interesting stuff, the fun stuff, the entertaining stuff, the exciting stuff, the stuff that really gets your pulse racing. Um, so mm -hmm. the product from the beginning was, was different like that. And we, we measured the results of that, right? So it, it wasn't just, you know, based on our feelings, you know, I mean, I personally find Apple a very interesting company, but we didn't do coverage of Apple because I personally felt interested in how the iPhone was doing. Um, we did it because, first of all, I, you know, I was excited to find out what the new iPhone was, was going to be like in 2012. Um, but also we looked at the results of what we did and, you know, readers poured in for news about Apple. Um, but they didn't pour in for news about Compaq or 
Um, I'm trying to think of other boring companies. 3M, um, you know, <laughs> so, so, you know, but there there are many boring companies. Uh, we tried covering mining at one point. No, it, it turns out that you, it's very difficult to get people interested in uh, Rio Tinto zinc and stuff like that. <laughs> so we we you know we made this decision and we measured it. We were, we're not going to do cover the boring stuff. We're only going to cover the exciting stuff and we're going to measure the results. And if readers want, if readers show us that they, that they're excited about something, we will lean into that and do more of it. And if readers show us that they're bored of it and they're not interested, we will stop doing it. And, um, you know, we made that decision on a, a macro and a micro level every day at Insider for the entire 10 years I was there. Mm -hmm. Nice. Love it. Love it. Uh, you mentioned this word boring. Um, uh, I yeah. like this word because, you know, uh, for example, uh, uh, I have a huge list of books that I, I want to read and some of them are good for sleeping. You know, uh, when you have the problem with sleeping, yeah, yeah. you can read <laughs> and yeah, you can sleep well the whole night. You don't remember anything from this book, but it helps to sleep. Can you tell? how to create content that people want to read. For example, I have some authors that I can't stop reading. For example, Jack mm -hmm. London. You know, if I read his books, I don't know. It doesn't matter what I need to do. I can't stop. I can read four hours, eight hours, you know, if I have time, of course. Uh, uh, can you tell about how to retain readers longer? Because if you have this issue with boring and you want to create excitement content, entertainment, can you tell how to unite business content with uh, entertainment because for me it's like yeah. different directions uh, when you want to have fun or uh, to get some uh, educational stuff okay so the best example i can think of um and this is an, an author that, that i return to again and again is michael lewis and michael lewis mm -hmm. wrote the big short um which was the book about the uh, collapse of the mortgage and the real estate business and the credit crisis in 2008. And it was turned into a, a very funny movie. Um, and he's written a number of other uh, great books. Um, and <laughs> blanking on all of the titles. His most recent book is The Premonition. And um, he also wrote Flash Boys, which was uh, about a scandal on Wall Street in which uh, some traders were found to be, uh, they gained the ability to see other people's incoming trades and would trade in front of them. They would front run the trades, which is uh, a type of fraud, I guess. Um, and that is also being made into a movie. Um, and Michael Lewis is possibly right now the most successful business news content writer on the planet. And the question is why? Um, and it's because he's a good writer, but why is he a good writer? What, what makes his writing good? The answer is he does a couple of things. He, uh, he really understands the difference between show and tell. And this is um, a very simple concept in writing that uh, new writers and beginning writers and early writers, you know, rookie people, they make this mistake all the time. Um, your instinct as a writer is to tell people what you think they need to know. This is wrong. Mm -hmm. People do not want to be told what to think. No one wants to be told, right? Actually, People want to be shown what is happening. People want to be shown what the argument is. They want to be shown the details. They want to be shown the facts. They want to be shown the specifics. They want to see these details for themselves. And after having seen all the details, then that will allow them to decide on their own how they feel about it. And obviously, if you as the writer present the facts and the details in a specific way, you can 
persuade them to agree with you, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Um, but you have shown them the details and the facts and the specifics. You have not told them what to think. Um, and uh, yeah, and Michael Lewis is just a master at that. So the, for instance, in the big short, um, we all know what happened in the uh, financial crisis of 2008, right? What happened was um, interest rates were very low. It became very cheap to borrow money. More and more people borrowed money to buy houses. The price of houses went up. The price of houses became so great, it exceeded people's ability to uh, pay their mortgages. And um, it also became a bit like a Ponzi scheme. There were uh, too many high-priced houses that could not possibly be sold for profits. So clearly, this was uh, a bubble waiting to burst. At the same time, a lot of the banks had generated leveraged credit instruments around these mortgages that would, that would allow them to bet on moves up and down on, on the underlying asset value and also the interest rates. And leveraged bets are um, a magnification of risk. So if you've already got risk in the system and if the system is already, uh, already a bubble, and then on top of that, you have leveraged risk, um, now your risk is magnified exponentially and you've got a real problem, which is what happened in 2008. And this problem caused uh, a large number of banks to collapse and a huge number of people lost money, okay? So that's me telling you what happened in the financial crisis. Now, all of that is true and it's important, but that is not the most interesting story you ever heard, right? That is, that is it's a little dry, right? Yeah. In Michael Lewis's book, The Big Short, one of the characters, he, he follows, I think, three sets of characters who are investigating this mystery of why so much money is wrapped up in these mortgages when these mortgages cannot possibly be sold to anyone, right? Because the, the pricing is out of whack. So he follows these three people who are investigating this like Sherlock Holmes, really. They're investigating a mystery. One of them goes down to Florida and he goes to a strip club and he gets a lap dance from a stripper. And mm -hmm. he asks the stripper, you know, uh, what's going on in the, you know, does she own a house? And the stripper says, yeah, I own three houses. And he's like, with all due respect, how does the stripper own three houses? And she says, well, I buy, she says, well, I buy them and flip them. And I make more money buying and flipping in houses than I do giving lap dances like this. And then he interviews the stripper, right, to get nice. the details of what she's doing in the mortgage market. And mm -hmm. from this, he concludes, okay, this is crazy. If, you know, if, if strippers in Florida um, are buying and flipping houses, then clearly there is something wrong in the real estate market. And this whole market must be in trouble. This is, I'm not disrespecting strippers, by the way. Sex workers yeah. are great. It's, and if you're a sex worker, please continue to buy and sell real estate. But <laughs> um, there's, there's an old, uh, this is the modern version of, um, and I can't remember who it was. I think it was Carnegie. Uh, uh, Carnegie was once the world's richest man and mm -hmm. during right before the Great Depression in the 1920s when the stock market crashed he uh, the story is and it's a legend I'm not sure it's true but the story is he got his shoes shined in the street and the shoe shine boy gave him a stock tip and that mm -hmm. was the point where he realized oh no the idiots have arrived in the marketplace I have to get out <laughs> <Right>? so <laughs> these the stories I've just told you about the shoeshine boy and the stripper, th mm -hmm. those stories were much more interesting than my explanation of how the credit market works in 2008, right? And you will remember yeah. the stripper and you will remember the shoeshine boy far longer than you will remember my explanation of the, 
of the crash of 2008. And it's because those stories show you what was happening at a human level with humans and drama and narrative. They don't tell you what happened. Yeah, yeah, love it. I, I like how you can share all the stories because for me, storytelling style is the best. You know, uh, people are not interested to read features, numerous features. Uh, they want to get stories. And so, yeah, with these examples, you can get a lot more. And I remember 2008 because uh, the world crisis destroyed my financial company in Ukraine when uh, it came. Uh, I lost all my revenue, all my resources, investment, anything. You know, even more, I got, I, I had debts uh, like 3,000 average salaries in Ukraine. So I worked mm -hmm. uh, five years hard, you know, to get them back. I remember this time that was hard because uh, I was not good with finance, uh, like uh, strippers, you know. Uh, I didn't understand that uh, if everything is fine today, it doesn't mean it. Uh, uh it will be all the time so yeah i felt like this but yeah it's life what we can do is just got experience to go ahead overcome it can you tell more about storytelling style you shared about uh, these examples uh for example if my audience wanna uh, learn to write uh, interesting excitement stuff can you tell how to share the stories? Uh, do you have some template or format how to provide these stories? Because, uh, for example, if we uh, have this example like stripper and the whole market, you know, yeah, it's far away, but uh, it's a real story and you can unite with the whole market crash. Uh, can you tell more about uh, template or methods to share stories? When you say share stories, do you mean how to share them on social media or do you mean how to structure the story when you write structure it? yeah it's more about structure oh okay um so <laughs> <laughs> i used to, this this is a good question because i used to teach a class in this at nyu mm -hmm, um, nice. so um if you're t if you're telling a long story mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just talk about long stories because short stories are, are different and, and they have a different structure um, but long stories are more interesting because it's more difficult to tell a, a long story and to hold the reader's interest for a long period of time. But basically, um, there's a type of structure that is used a lot by uh, The New Yorker, which is the, the magazine that typically has the best writing uh, of all magazine journalism. And uh, one of these stories will start off with uh, an anecdote that is uh, bizarre or unusual or very detailed or dramatic or curious or sexy or just exciting in some way. Um, and the story will be about an individual who has some kind of struggle or problem to overcome. Um, a bit like the anecdote I just told you about the guy researching the mortgage market who ends up in Florida talking to strippers to find out why they're flipping houses. Right. So that would be a really great opening anecdote. That's a great opening scene to lead off with. OK. Mm -hmm. And you describe it in detail with just the details and just the specifics. Don't tell readers what to think. Just show them, show them that strippers in suburban um, uh, nightclubs in Florida are, are investing and selling houses when they didn't used to. And, and then at the end of that anecdote, set up the question, why? Why are they doing this? How has this happened? You know, why is it that sex workers are suddenly interested in property? It doesn't make sense. Um, mm -hmm. And after setting up that unanswered question, crucially, do not answer the question. 
after setting that up, then you need a section of the story, which I call the nut graph, where basically as the writer, you take a step back and you say, mm -hmm. okay, why is this happening? What's the big picture? What is the history here? What, what are the consequences? What is the potential damage that could happen if this situation continues, right? And that's the place where you actually describe that this stripper is not just a random woman in a random nightclub, but in fact, there are millions of people all across America and all across the United Kingdom and Europe who are doing the same thing, who are suddenly buying houses and then flipping them for profits and no one's living in the no one is living in the houses, and no one is ever expecting to pay off the mortgage. Um, so you describe the scale of the problem. Uh, you ideally you would like a killer statistic. Um, perhaps you could say you know that this year there were ten times as many houses that were flipped as the compared to five years ago, uh, or you could say uh, that this year um, banks have I don't know banks have like. Uh, 10 times as much money invested in the mortgage market than they did five years ago. You just want a killer statistic to, to show readers that mm -hmm. this is a much bigger deal than it used to be, and uh, but still don't explain to them why, right? You just, you just want to give them the full scope of the problem or the crisis. Um, and after you've done that, so now you've done two things. You've got a really interesting opening with lots of details and an unanswered question, a mystery. Um, and then you've given the readers the, the scope, the size of the problem. After that, you can actually wind the clock back and you say, okay, let's go back to the beginning. How did this start? What is the origin of this? And if you can find a person, preferably, who in some way represents the origin of the story, tell their story, follow them, um, you can, you can tell their story chronologically. Um, that's one way to do it. Um, but you have to be able to tell the entire scope of the issue through this one person. This, this one person's life story has to, in some way, represent or be symbolic of the entire problem. And then at the end of the story, uh, what you want to do if to, um, to really make the story effective is you want the very final anecdote in the story to return to the stripper in the nightclub who is flipping houses and to resolve that problem or to resolve the mystery or to finish the unanswered question, right? What happens to her? Did she succeed or did she fail? Did she get her money out just in time or was she bankrupted? You know, was she rendered homeless? And so if you can start the story and end the story in the same place and close that circle. That is a very satisfying way to tell a story. And uh, this is a technique that is used in the movies a lot. Like movies follow this uh, format. So mm -hmm. one of my um, favorite movies is Heat by Michael Mann, which is a bank robbery movie. Do you know Heat mm -hmm. by Michael Mann? No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it stars Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Uh, one of them mm -hmm. is a cop and one of them is a bank robber and they chase each other. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. I watched this movie. Yeah. You don't okay. Mind, yeah. So it's a very long movie, right? But mm -hmm. the, the beginning of the movie involves this one bank robbery in which Robert mm -hmm. De Niro's, uh, one of the criminals he's working with, uh, betrays him, right? And De Niro decides to execute this guy, right? Because he's going to, he's betrayed him. But something mm -hmm. goes wrong and the guy escapes. And the entire rest of the movie has this question hanging in the background. 
what happened to the guy who escaped? And will De Niro mm -hmm. find him first? Or will the guy get De Niro and kill him before De Niro re realizes? Mm -hmm. And then this is only wrapped up at the very end where the escaped guy comes back and there's a confrontation. And I won't spoil it for you, but this movie is three hours long, right? So yeah. it's, it's a three hour movie waiting to find out what happens to the guy in the beginning? <laughs> nice, nice. Love it, love it. Uh, let's talk about uh, being yourself or standing out from the rest. Uh, I see a big issue when uh, content creators usually copy successful uh, uh, other competitors, uh, check out uh, their content, rewrite, create the same content and nobody cares about this content. And you mentioned that uh, Insider... Uh, uh, has own approach yeah, to uh, satisfy intent, uh, not to be boring, to find their way. Can you tell how to find your style? It's a big issue because many people don't know how to be yourself. They just copy. They don't know uh, how to test uh, different formats uh, from your experience. For example, if uh, I want to be myself, I don't copy others. Uh, mm -hmm. But it's hard if I start from scratch. From your experience, how to do it? Um, this is a good question, and I will disappoint you by saying that actually copying other people's style is actually quite a good way to learn how to write. So sometimes mm -hmm. if I'm reading mm -hmm. something and it's really well written, if I really like it, if I find it really exciting, um, and the test, the test for good writing is, is this. When you read it, do you feel like you are reading it? Or... Mm -hmm. Does it feel like a movie is playing in your head and you are forgetting, you have forgotten the fact that you are actually reading it? And when you read mm -hmm. a good book, you will know it's like it's more like watching a movie because you can see the book inside your head, right? Mm -hmm. If you read a bad book, it feels like reading. You know, it, it feels like work. You've got to go from word to word, uh, forcing yourself along, okay? So... Whenever I, uh, whenever I encounter some reading that wh where I forget that I'm reading it, I'm just watching the movie inside my head based on the words, that's when I stop and think, okay, what is this person doing that has really got me here? Why is that, how did they do this? And then I will go back and look at what they did. Um, and you can, you can see techniques that they've used. Uh, very often a good technique is to use a lot of dialogue. Tell your story with dialogue. Tell your story. Um, don't tell your story. Have the characters in your story have a conversation, and th the story is the conversation, right? So that's a very simple and easy technique. Um, lots of you know, lots of very well observed details. Again, show people what's happening. Don't tell them what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. But. On many occasions in my life, I've read really fantastic, particularly magazine and news articles, because that's my that's my business. But, but whenever I read a really, really good one, I go back and say, okay, how is this structured? Why was this good? The I look at my favorite bits. What was good about the the good bits? Why was it good? You know, and the uh, often the answer is they're showing me what's going on with tiny, beautiful details, and there's lots of dialogue and the characters are great, and I can feel like I can see the characters because there's good descriptions of them. And the descriptions don't tell me what they're like. The descriptions show me what they're like, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so, yeah. the, so the description won't say he was a bad man. The description will say 
the, the description will say, you know, there was a scar on his face. He had lost one eye from being in a bar fight and he had spent mm -hmm. more than 10 years in prison. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I told you, I, I showed you that he was a bad man. I didn't tell you he was bad, but I showed you he was bad by describing a scar that he was in a fight and he had been spent a long time in prison. This is not a good person, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, yeah, but I don't need to tell you he's not good. I can show you mm -hmm. he's not good by giving you the details of his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it, love it. Okay, uh, let's talk about your book. Uh, can you tell why you call this book? Uh, say thank you to everything. Uh, for example, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You can share the link uh, to Amazon, so I can share sure. with my audience. Uh, okay, uh, I'm interested about this book uh, so much. Uh, let me tell you why. You know, uh, for example, uh, many people think that I'm uh, SEO expert. I'm not. Uh, I'm so bad with many directions. Uh, I'm not good with link building. I'm not good with content creation. I'm not good with, with many other things. But I can manage uh, good uh, experts, uh, specialists. I cooperate with many uh, well-known experts, you know, to create cohesive stuff. Uh, so uh, I love management more than uh, learning about one specific direction. So we can unite uh, all jobs and to get the final product. Uh, can you tell how to unite? Thank you and management. For me, it's like uh, two different directions. Of course, uh, I'm grateful that I can cooperate with many experts. I can tell them uh, whatever happens. Uh, I even say thank you when people hate me. They tell me, oh, uh, you suck. No, no one hates you, Anatoly. No one hates you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but I love them. You know, for me, uh, I, I don't pay a lot of attention to them. Uh, I remember when Seth Godin, uh, Gary V, many other guys proclaimed that uh, hating, uh, just uh, ignore it, go ahead. For me, it doesn't matter. But uh, I, re I respect that when people share their opinions, that's okay. Possible they are not my audience. But I'm interested about uniting. Thank you and management. Can you tell how do you unite these two words? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's very simple, but... Um... So I, I learned this lesson uh, one time uh, in the office at Insider. Um, I was supervising uh, one of my colleagues. We, we, we had worked on a, a long project and it was late on a Friday night and uh, we had to stay late on Friday to finish the project and everyone else had gone home. And uh, at about seven or eight o'clock, uh, finally this woman had finished. She gets up from her desk, goes to leave the office. And just as she was about to leave, I said, oh, hey, Laura, one more thing. And she turned around to look at me and was like sort of looking daggers, right? Because she thought she'd gotten out and <laughs> was going to pull it back in. <laughs> uh, and so I said, um, you know, thank you for all the work you did this week. It was uh, really noticeable. And I know uh, we had to work long extra hours, but, you know, I really appreciate that you did it. And it, it was effective and I'm glad we did it because, um, you know, it's, it's, this project is important. It's going to be really noticeable. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, uh, her face just changed. Like she was... She was like, oh, that, that's great. You know, you're welcome. And, you know, she left on uh, feeling good about the, about the project. Um, and then after she had left, th there was this guy uh, sitting across from me. His name was Ellis. And he was staring at me. And so I said to Ellis, you know, Ellis, what is your problem? <laughs> and he said, you know, I've never heard anyone here say thank you before for the work we've been doing. And I thought to myself, really, no one has ever said thank you. <laughs> and as I was writing the book, um, 
I thought back at all the other jobs I had done and realized that uh, very often bosses do not say thank you to their staff just for doing the work. Um, mm -hmm. And in my experience as, as a boss and as a, as a manager, um, if you say thank you to people and if you make it very clear to your team and your employees, you make it very clear that you notice the work that they've, they have done, that you really appreciate it, that, you know, it was noticeable and it was good and you praise the good stuff they have done, even though it's their job and even though you are paying them, um, just show your appreciation and say thank you. Um, that is what people want to hear. People feel validated by, by that. Um, it goes a long way. And it is the single most effective and easiest trick uh, as a manager you can do. And it's not a trick, by the way. It should be real. Exactly, <laughs> <laughs> not a trick. Um, mm -hmm. But and the easiest thing you can do to make yourself better than the majority of managers is to just remember to express gratitude to people when they do work for you. Because in a large number of jobs and a large number of companies, no one ever hears the word thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, uh, let's check out another side. For example, if uh, the job is not good, um, yeah, uh, and uh, in my company, I tell everyone, yeah. we can test. We can test, that's okay if we fail, but we know that it doesn't work, so we can change something to uh, search uh, for other directions. And for example, if you are not satisfied with the job, uh, 100%, <laughs> if you mm -hmm. feel that uh, this job, uh, uh, it's possible to do much better, uh, do we need to say thank you uh, at that point or not? Um, that's a good question. So there's, there's two pieces of advice I would give you. The, the first is if you're dealing with an individual uh, or even a team that has failed at a, at a project, you know, it just whatever they were working on, it just didn't work. It was crap. Um, my advice would be to give them that feedback in private. Do not mm -hmm. stand up in front of the whole office or in a yeah. big public meeting or in a do not send an office wide email. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, take them, take them in private, go into the conference yeah. room or go to a private video chat uh, like this one and say, you know, OK, I know you worked really hard on this, but look at the results. The results are not good. So let's walk away from this. Let's stop it and do something else. OK, mm -hmm. so first of all, deliver criticism in private. Praise, praise in public, criticism in private. That's the mm -hmm. first piece yeah. of advice. The second nice. piece of advice is um, if anyone or any team in your company works on something and it fails, you need to stop quickly, figure out why, and if you cannot make it work, walk away. And mm -hmm. inside a lot of companies, no one does this. No one, in many companies, no one has the job of consciously looking for things that are failing and then saying, hey, this doesn't work, let's stop doing it, right? And a really good example of this actually is um, uh, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. I don't know if you watch Gordon Ramsay's. Have you ever seen Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares? No. no. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, it's a famous reality TV show in which a mm -hmm. Michelin-starred chef who has a very short mm -hmm. temper goes into a mm -hmm. restaurant the restaurant is always failing. It's always a terrible, mm -hmm. horrible restaurant. And mm -hmm. uh, basically, for most of the show, he yells at these idiots um, until they uh, change everything they're doing, and then the restaurant becomes successful, right? Uh -huh. The one thing 
one thing that Gordon Ramsay almost always does, and and in almost every show this happens. He looks at the menu, and the menu that they're offering is like 15 pages long, right? Mm -hmm, they're offering mm -hmm. 200 dishes, and all of them are shit. Okay, so, <laughs> so Gordon Ramsay's first piece of advice is to throw the menu away and offer one, a single-page menu with maybe 12 dishes on it. So yeah. the, ki the kitchen knows exactly what it will have to cook, and it will cook the same thing over and over again, and they will become good at it, and it, it will become better, right? And this is one of the easiest ways to improve a restaurant. Reduce the size of the menu and become good mm. at the few things that you do. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a so common I, issue, you know, by the way. Yeah, uh, I yeah. often see in restaurants, you know, when I have just one piece of paper, but very good, or when uh, you can take a like, book and you can't find anything from that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so the reason I like uh, Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares is it's a very good example of saying you've got to you've got to walk away from everything that you are doing that is failing. Just stop it. Stop, and just mm -hmm. focus on the small number of things that you're doing very, very well. Yeah, and, and that is the yeah. way to win. Focus. Yeah, focus. I love it. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I see that, you know, uh, for example, I have a hundred things to do every single day, but I yeah. usually prioritize, find that it's very important, uh, necessary stuff and just or delegate or uh, forget about something mm -hmm. that less necessary. Yeah, I agree. You're absolutely right. But forgetting, forgetting about the trivial things that is important. And mm -hmm. a, a mistake people make is. A lot of people think to be successful, you have to do all of the things and to be excellent at all of the things. And, and this is why people work really long hours. And this is why they work all through the night and on the weekends. Um, this mm -hmm. is wrong. Actually, it is far better and more efficient to forget the trivial things and just do the top things. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Jim, I have the question about, uh, uh, for example, let's imagine you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills, anything. What will you do to learn more today about management? Um, I, would, I would buy this book. Nice. <laughs> I, oh gosh, I don't know. What would I, what would I do if I had to start from scratch? Yeah. Um, I would, okay. I would look around my company and I would ask my colleagues, I would say, who here is actually a good boss? And by mm -hmm. good, I mean, not just do you enjoy working for them? Because a lot of people like their bosses, sometimes because they're not very good bosses. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, a bit, they're a bit too relaxed. Um, mm -hmm. They don't care if you show up late, that kind of thing. So you, wanna, you want to identify who are the bosses who are good. People enjoy working for them. They're not stressed, but they're very productive. You know, they're successful at what they do. Um, figure out who that boss is and then go to lunch with that boss and say, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have never managed a team before. Um, I would like to please tell me how you, you know, tell me your secrets. Tell me your tricks. How do you do it? What's the, what's the good advice and what's the bad advice? What mistakes should I avoid? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I am a big fan of copying people who are already successful. I have to say, um, mm -hmm. I think I think that's really an underrated piece of advice. It is it is difficult to be, you know, a, it is difficult to be Leonardo da Vinci, where you are just like completely original, 
and you're just a, a sort of sui generis genius. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's a lot easier and it's a lot more effective and it's a lot more efficient to identify someone who is already successful and then to just go ask them how they did it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Uh, okay, I have the final question about uh, the future or AI. Let's talk more about AI. Okay. Um, uh, I check out one study online uh, that uh, employers choose uh, AI boss than uh, a human being. Uh, and uh, I don't know why, but I think in most cases, because many bosses are not good, you know, they can't engage, they're so stressed, you know, many, many other stuff. Can you tell uh, why uh, we have this issue today? Because 70% of people hate their jobs. It's a real fact. Okay. You know? And uh, can you tell how to be much better, boss? And uh, uh, because machine can beat us today, you know, people want to have AI who can, can control them, uh, who can manage them uh, because of these bad bosses. Uh, can you provide um. your insights about that? <laughs> I am not sure I've met anyone who would prefer an AI boss to a real yeah, boss. Yeah, I need to find um, the study. I will share with you. <laughs> <laughs> I would be, yeah, I want to see this study. That's it. Yeah. That seems really interesting. Um, I'm trying to think, what would the advantage of having an AI boss? Um, the problem it's with like, AI it, is that mm-hmm. if it makes a mistake, it's very difficult to convince AI that it is wrong mm-hmm. because the AI... Mm-hmm. The AI just simply checks its data set and says, well, I have rechecked my data and I reached the same conclusion because unless you can enter new data into the data set, I, will, I can't learn anything new, um, which is, and some bosses, of course, do behave like that. <laughs> um, you mentioned this word, uh, stressed, you know, uh, some people, some bosses can provide stress, you know, you need yeah. to do, it's your job, uh, for so example, maybe- Friday... Yeah. Maybe the workers choose the AI because they know the AI isn't human and has no feelings and it doesn't yeah, care. No so if you if you disappoint the AI, no one cares, right? So you <laughs> have a very stress-free work life if your boss is AI because you're just like, well, you know, it's Friday, I'm not coming in. You know, you don't you don't like it, I'll just switch you off and see you on Monday. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if uh, yeah, this study sounds interesting. I'd I'd like to see it. The Yeah, I need to find it because... uh, Let me me just uh, riff on this. It might be the case. Maybe it's the case. And I have no idea. So this is speculation. Um, But one of the problems with having a human boss is uh, humans do love stories and anecdotes, right? And it is very easy for a human manager to see one thing, to see one success story or to see one failure about you and then to judge you in your entirety based on that one failure or that one success story. And all of the rest of the work that you've done for the entire year goes out the window because you know you were associated with this one mistake or this one success. And then your manager will either promote you or not promote you um, based on this anecdote. And I call this management by anecdote, right? And in the old days, almost all management was management by anecdote because there was very little data. And so managers just, uh, rewarded people and reviewed people and judged their performance based on their feelings or their instincts or their personal interactions uh, with with their workers. Um, Nowadays, uh, 
you can generate data about almost any employee or any worker to see what they're actually doing, to see what their real success is. To see, are they really, uh, how productive are they really? You can track how many uh, sales do they make? How many customers do they talk to? How many phone calls do they answer? How many stories do they write? Uh, whatever the, you know, whatever the metric is, you can track their metrics and the metrics are objective, right? They're not based on your personality or your feelings mm -hmm. or your relationship with them or whether they played golf with you or went for drinks with you. It's not based on any of the anecdotal stuff. It's just based on what they actually did. And this is mm -hmm. especially powerful for uh, workers who are quieter um, than the average worker, workers who sit further away from their bosses than um, uh, you know, people who are in the center of the room. Um, it's particularly good if you are a worker who is you know, like a um, woman or a person of color or you have a disability. So, you know, and if your boss is, you know, maybe a, a, maybe a guy and maybe white and um, et cetera, et cetera, and you're not in the same sort of like social demographic as your boss, being, being judged solely on the numbers where everyone is equal because everyone is judged mm -hmm. on the same numbers, that can be very powerful in demonstrating to your boss that actually, hey, you know, I sit far away. I'm very quiet at work. I don't talk a good game. We don't play golf together. Um, we live in completely different neighborhoods and we come from different social backgrounds. But you know what? Here's the sales. Here's my sales record for this month. And I'm the best in the office, regardless of your feelings. That is a very powerful uh, piece of information to give your boss. Yeah. So maybe they oh, like, and AI would get that. And humans sometimes don't get that. Yeah, so valuable. Yeah, uh, I remember the study from uh, Gary V Audio Experience podcast. And he shared that uh, we have a lot of bad bosses. And he told that people, uh, bosses, need to serve their employers, not uh, vice versa. Uh, bosses need to serve uh, all uh, people who can work with them and uh, uh, he mentioned about uh, himself that uh, uh, he uh, usually he works a lot harder and more than any employees on his company uh, he got only a few vacations for uh, 20 years because uh, he wanna serve uh, his uh, team so yeah it's something like this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jim, it's a big pleasure to get on my show, to learn from you, to get a lot of valuable insights, tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. Uh, okay. Well, you can, um, the book is called Say Thank You for Everything. You can find it easily on Amazon or just Google Say Thank You for Everything book. Um, I'm on Twitter at Jim underscore Edwards. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Uh, at Instagram, I'm at Jim Edwards123. But if you Google Jim Edwards, say thank you for everything, I'm easy to find, frankly. And, uh, okay. you know, my email, my email address is out there, and I'm happy to answer DMs and all the rest of it. So, uh, nice, yeah, nice. I'm happy to hear from people. Okay, guys, you can find all these links in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Welcome back anytime back, you know, to share more value. Uh, people, you need to follow Jim. You need to read this book. I'm going to do it because I can. Uh, I love management. I want to improve my skills in management. And I know if I read this book, I can get a lot more by reading this book. Okay, guys, love you. See you.